It is great to be with you here this morning. Um, and I just want to get us started off. When I say the word conflict, uh, what words or images or experiences come to your mind? Just want you to think about that conflict. I know, I know, it go many different directions, right? And uh, what I've done is I've tried to take the liberty of um, thinking of maybe what some of those concepts would be uh, in, in some of our lives. So if you'll bear with me, because I just handed uh, Debbie my script, and um, I didn't even uh, put all the places that I normally do where it's going to change slides. So Deb, here we're going to go. So on this first one. We're going to go right on into uh, conflict, some, some pictures that I've come through. And so the words and the images, experiences. So the first picture here is relationships, okay? Whether it's uh, dating or married or friends, just think about that, conflicts in relationships. How about protests? We've seen uh, not only in our country but around the world different protests that have taken place, conflicts, standoffs. How about locking horns? I love this one. I, I love watching some of these animal shows, you know, particularly the ones where, you know, you see the crocodiles eating something, you know, right there by the... I don't know why. I'm, I'm just a warped person. But, um, you know, this one, locking horns, and it just reminded me about how we as humans lock horns, and we just keep pushing back and forth. Conflict. Um, work. Work conflicts, you know, where you've got people conflicting ideas, conflicting plans, conflicting schedules, conflicting strategy. How about physical? I like this, you know, a little boxing kangaroo there, you know, um, where violence or abuse takes place. Um, this next one, holidays. Come on, we're getting ready for Thanksgiving. Nobody deals with conflicts when you gather all your family together, right? Who hasn't seen each other for a year or two or three or so. And then all of a sudden, no, there's no conflict whatsoever during the holidays. Um, how about siblings uh, um, wanting what the other one has? In this case, you can't see it maybe that much, but you got three kids fighting over the remote control, Right? Uh, you, none of you ever deal with that in your homes, or you never did when your kids were younger. Um, I, and I just had to put this next picture in here, rebellion. Because it's like the kids have their dad taped up against the wall. They're saying, no more broccoli, but more TV, you know. It's just kind of like a conflict. Um, how about rights? Okay, now that you've read it, let's move on. Okay. How about church? And, and I love this cartoon. If you can't read it, it just says the, the, the pastor said it's unhealthy to live with unsettled conflict. So is your husband home? And that guy standing there asking a question has boxing gloves on. Okay, he wants to deal with unresolved conflict. Uh, how about friends? Just, uh, I chose this picture because it fits in with our passage this morning. I'm not trying to pick on you ladies. Because trust me, us men deal with plenty of conflict amongst each other. But I chose this one because, again, it, it, it fits with our context of our passage this morning. And then finally, internal conflict. I love this little guy because, man, he just reminded me sometimes. You just wonder what's going on in his little body, in his little mind, in his little heart. 
And that's the same kind of thing, you know, feelings of anger or guilt or frustration or anxiety. And so when I think of conflict, I, I think of two different types of conflict. One, relational conflict. And two, e internal conflict. And by relational conflict, I, I mean uh, primarily the family whether it's conflict within uh, the marriage or with, between the kids or between the parents and the kids. Relational conflict also in the job with a boss or a co-worker or, or a departmental conflict. But also the racial conflict, as we'll see in the passage, and as you've probably experienced at some point in your life, it takes place in the church. Conflict amongst the leaders, the members, the volunteers. So that, that's relational conflict. And by internal conflict, I mean what's going on in the heart? What's going on inside of us internally? Conflicting feelings. How about inside of our minds? Where we have conflicting thoughts. Or inside of our bodies. Where things inside are conflicting with each other physiologically. And you've got one organ fighting the other organ. Or you've got something else that's going on deeper inside. And they're battling each other. Well, this morning we're going to look at conflict in which Paul addressed within the church of Philippi. And the conflict was between two women who were, now I want you to get this. First of all, they were both believers in Jesus. And not only that, but they were co-laborers with Paul in the gospel. But not only that, they were dearly loved by Paul. But their example was an example of relational conflict. And by addressing this conflict, Paul exhorted them or urged them, or you could even say appealed strongly to them that, that should come, they should come to an agreement in the Lord. In other words, hey ladies, work out your conflict. But then, Paul transitions to helping the church to see that they have internal conflict within their own hearts and minds. This isn't just amongst those two ladies. He wanted to address and make sure that the whole church knew, hey, there's something going on inside of all of you as well. He gave them encouragement as, as they dealt with these conflicts. He provided resources. Uh, I'm just using that word for a, a lack of a better word uh, today for, in my outline to help them with their battles. Resources that would move them from conflict to peace and, and, and that are available to you and I as well today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to it, and if you want to be lazy, you can just look at the screen. How's that for uh, creating conflict right there, all right? So Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. 
it says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Uodia, and I entreat Sintike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I, I, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, you could say brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Right off the bat, um, it's, it's, it's going to be about eight-point outline. Okay? Just giving you a heads up. The very first thing we're talking about is the setting the setting, it starts with encouragement in, in, in verse 1. And Paul reminds them, uh, uh, the believers, of two things. One, how much he loves them. Look at the language that, that he uses. Brothers and sisters, whom I love. They were his joy. And what he meant by that, they were his, they were his present sense of joy. And when he says, and my crown, that refers to the future crown when he would stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then he closes that part off, first verse, with beloved. Beloved. This is the most personal letter that Paul has written to any of the churches. He loves them, and they love him. We've learned from Pastor Roger over a number of the weeks that, you know, he established that church when he answered God's call to go into Macedonia. So he loves them. The whole letter is filled with joy, joy, joy. I get joy from you. Make my joy complete. Rejoice. You experience joy in serving in following, in participating in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the second thing we see here is that he tells them to stand firm in the Lord. And he repeats what he wrote earlier in chapter 1, verse 27. He said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith 
of the gospel. After starting with encouragement, Paul then moves into the situation. And the situation is dealing with relational conflict. Verses 2 and 3. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, here are the facts. Okay, the facts. Eudea and Syntyche, they were in disagreement over something. Something. We don't know what it was regarding. Thank you, Lord, for excluding that. They both, both of them needed to work it out. Paul entreated, that's the word we have in the, in the ESV, but it could be urged. It could be pleaded with. Each of them individually. Boyd Luter, uh, um, wrote this in one of his commentaries. He thinks that perhaps so that neither would feel that responsibility for healing the breach should depend on or lay on the other. It it was so great that Paul entreated both of them equally. He wasn't taking sides. Oh, I heard this. Remember, he's in prison. He's in Rome. He's not taking somebody's side. He's just saying, hey, whatever he learned, Probably from Epaphroditus. It was like, ladies, come on. We've experienced so much. There's been so much fruit of our work and the gospel. Come on. Let's come to an agreement here. And not, okay, in in their own selves. Come to an agreement in the Lord. I love that. Their agreement was, was in the Lord, just like in verse 1 when Paul said, standing firm in the Lord. Or in verse 4, which we'll see in just a moment, just like their rejoicing is to be in the Lord. Or just like how God's peace will guard them in the Lord. In verse 7, mention of a true companion, another fact that we know, who is asked to help them. Now, some people have come up with all kinds of different ideas about who this might be. You know, when you boil it all down to, I think it comes down to either one of two people. It was either the Apostle Luke or it was the elder slash pastor of that church in Philippi. And so Paul is just asking him, yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women. Help them work it out. The hope or the goal was to restore unity between these two women and thus ensure unity in the church. Why? For the gospel. It's always for the gospel. This whole series, Philippians, live the gospel. That's what this letter is all about. Never underestimate the enemy's attempts to bring disunity into a church. Never underestimate that.
uh, uh, third point is now we go to the solution. The solution, which is finding joy in the Lord. In verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul here repeats what he, he, he wrote in earlier in chapter 3, verse 1, where he said, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then notice what he says, To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. You think he's focusing on the importance of rejoicing in the Lord? Now, maybe he put that there because uh, maybe he felt like the, the church would be discouraged from Uodia's and, and Sintike's disagreement. Or maybe they were discouraged because of Paul's imprisonment. They were so saddened by that. Or maybe from hearing about Epaphroditus Remember back, back in chapter 2, verse 26, that he was ill? Or maybe, just looking back from last week when Pastor Roger opened up chapter 3, and verses 18 and 19, or maybe they were discouraged from those who walk as enemies of the cross. Whatever it may have been, Paul's solution was to rejoice in the Lord. And folks, he didn't just say it, he practiced it. Remember, let's just go back to Acts chapter 16. And Paul and Silas were thrown in prison in Philippi when they first went there to share the gospel because they cast out an evil spirit from this girl whose uh, owners were making money off of her because she was doing divination. The spirit that was inside of her would speak things that this person couldn't possibly know. Witchcraft. And, and you know what? The Apostle Paul and, and Silas, you know, th this girl kept coming on over to them saying, trying to say who these guys were, and they just said, hey, evil spirit, get out of her. And it did. And, and because of that, the owners were ticked. And they had them thrown into prison. And, and I'm going to read to you verses 23 through 25 of Acts chapter 16. It says, And when they, it was the Roman soldiers, had inflicted many blows upon them, this is Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the pris inner prison, okay, <laughs> like the inner inner <laughs> prison, and fastened their feet in stocks. There's no way these guys were going anywhere. One, they're already beaten to a pulp. But look at this. We jump to verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And I love this. That, that God thought this was important to put this in his word. And the prisoners were listening to them. Those guys are probably thinking, who are these whack jobs? Singing, praising God that they got beat and are thrown in jail? Huh? See, Paul didn't just give lip service. He, he put it into practice. Now, I want to stop for a second. I want to go off on this little side tangent, and, and I hope you'll allow me to, but um, 
I want you to look at the difference between happiness and joy. So many times, people are, are just, oh, I just want to be happy. And they make poor decisions because they're not happy. And, and the difference, happiness and joy. Happiness, it comes and goes with one's circumstances in life. It, it, it's here, it's gone. It's here, it's gone. That's your happiness. And your feelings are all over the place, right? All up and down. But joy comes with one's relationship with the Lord. That doesn't change, at least from his point of view, from what he has promised to you and I. That relationship is solid. And so, you know, money, nice homes, success, health, love, family, friends, travel, all of it, it can bring happiness. But only for a while. Happiness is fleeting. But joy, when it's born out of one's relationship with, with the Lord and not based on our circumstances, no one can take that away from the person who's learned how to rejoice in the Lord always. Moving on. Back on tangent. Let's look at um, the internal situation, dealing with emotional and mental conflict. And uh, in verses 5 through 9, emotional conflict we see here in verse 6 as anxiety. And so it says in, in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I, I want you to watch a video of three individuals from our church who've battled with anxiety, either in themselves or with a loved one. And so, let's watch on the screen. I am... Um, so thankful that Justin and Lexi would uh, be so vulnerable to share their struggles because it is real. And um, uh, for uh, Shirley just to be able to uh, be on video, that's a, <laughs> that's a pretty good thing. But it's a lot better that she does that. Uh, she told me, don't tell any stories about any of our past fights. I'm like, yeah, I've <laughs> I don't want to create more conflict, right, <laughs> with, with my wife. But um, anxiety is real. It's an emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual issue. It's, it, I, I, I've seen the toll and impact that it has on people. I've ex experienced anxiety in my own life numerous of times. And in fact, every time I, I try to prepare for a message, there's anxiety. And I'm so thankful for for the people who are praying for me because they know that. And it's just because I, I don't want to screw up God's word. I, I don't want to say something that's not true to his character. 
And so I, I just like, ooh, should I say that? Should I not say that? And so, um, you know, I, I just experienced that. And I'm trying more and more to be able to say, okay, God, I've done my prep. This is, I'm leaving it in your hands. Um, a, a few years ago, we brought in a, a Christian psychologist, Dr. Mike Marino, to lead a, an anxiety and depression uh, seminar in which we had close to 25 people come to it to receive help. And we would have had many more that I talked to afterwards, but they were afraid by the stigma. And so they just couldn't get themselves to come. They were anxious about coming to a place that was going to help them deal with their anxiety. But you know what? We all have our different things, right? But Jesus addressed it in Matthew chapter 6. And, uh, you know, I hope that you heard how Justin and Lexi battled with their anxiety, but more importantly, how they received help from the Lord by way of Sarah, Justin's wife, and Shirley, Lexi's mom. And they put it into practice, the resources that Paul gave to the Philippian believers. They dove into God's word. They memorized it. They prayed to the God who saves. They received his peace that passes all understanding. They sought help from books, doctors, therapists. And I can't say about Justin, but I know Lexi used medication. So did Amanda. All of those things to help deal with this. Well, I'm going to transition now to uh, number five, the internal resource for our emotions. The resource that we have to, to deal with this is prayer. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And, and we can just see in there how, how there are four different uses of the word for prayer in there. And it says... Uh, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And those four different Greek words describe the different nuances of prayer. Just some little tweaks. That, that word that's used there for prayer, and again, you know, I, I just got this from guys who are a whole lot smarter than me who wrote a book about, you know, Greek words for prayer in the New Testament. And when they boiled it all down, here's what they kind of came down to. Prayer, that word is used for the general term uh, for our, our, our communications with God. You can use prayer and, and that kind of all-encompassing, right? And, and that's one, that's the very first word that Paul uses. But in everything by prayer. Yeah, in all your prayers. In all ways you pray. But then he goes on and gets a little more specific. Supplication. That's a request for particular benefits. So when we go to him and ask him, for some things that are like, whoa, those are beneficial. And then thanksgiving, you know, that's another word for prayer. Psalm 100 would be a, a great one for you to be uh, focusing on with, with thanksgiving coming up in less than two weeks. Can you believe that? Not that that's not going to cause anybody anxiety, but okay. Uh, but that, that, that word is talking about grateful acknowledgement for past mercies. Or, or blessings. 
you're thankful for what God has given you in the past. And then finally, requests. That's the individual requests that form the whole prayer. It's when you start focusing in more on, on things. Like, uh, I meet with a prayer group on, on Thursday mornings. Uh, we have our, another prayer team that's here on Sunday mornings. And we go through and we share our requests. We make sure that the requests that come into the church, that somebody is going to be praying for that as we go around in our Zoom meeting. And so some of them, we're asking for prayer for our own individual requests. Some of them, we're praying for uh, other people. Some of them, we just can't help but give God thanks for who he is. And, and for why, the fact that I love how Tom Canavino, no matter what, it doesn't matter if we're in person or on Zoom, he's always picturing that empty chair. Because that empty chair is where Jesus is, is at. For him, that's that reminder Jesus is with us, guys. And I love that. Because sometimes it's kind of easy to forget. Or just kind of, it's, it's out of our minds. But no, Jesus is right here with us. And so, uh, what does Paul say the result of prayer is? Well, so we're going to go to number six, the results of prayer. Uh, let's look at uh, verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The results, we have peace, the peace of God. And we also have protection over our hearts and minds. Uh, if you go online and you go to Got Questions, I know some of you are thinking, huh, what? But, man, there's some great resources online. And Got Questions is talking about uh, prayer. And, and, and I took a couple nuggets out of here because I just thought, wow, this is, this is pretty good. You know, um, they said inner peace has little to do with external surroundings. To have that deep, deep peace that passes all understanding doesn't matter about the surroundings. We're so able to be focused in that God's in control, that He's sovereign, that He's already paid the price for our sins, and that He loves us unconditionally, greater than any human possibly can. When we can start truly grasping those truths, that's when we get to start experiencing this peace that passes all understanding. It's also said that peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. I love that. And I'd love to talk more about this, but I, I really want to get to some of our other things in there. Um, uh, number seven, we have mental resources. Mental resources that, that are, are, are available to us. And so uh, look at verse 8. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, kind of bringing this, this whole thought, all of these exhortations to a close, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence or if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
And I could take up a whole sermon time just unpacking what that is. So when you think about whatever is true, you know, the Word of God is true. Honorable. Just. We have a God of justice. Pure. God is pure. Lovely. I know sometimes we don't think about it, men, but you know what? When we can admire being out in creation, whether it's the mountains, whether it's the beaches, whether it's some other scenery, or maybe if you're in an art gallery or something like that, and you see something, you go, man, that, that is lovely. That is beautiful. That's what we're to be thinking about and thinking on. Commendable. Again, we come into this, anything excellence or anything worthy of praise. How easy it is for us to take for granted these things, huh? We're just rushing through our day and kind of like... And Paul's saying, think about these things. These are the mental resources that I've got for you. And finally, I, I want to go into uh, something that, that I, I got from uh, Dale Burke. Dale's preached here before. He used to be uh, the, the preaching pastor at E.B. Free of Fullerton, now known as Fullerton Free. And then he was down at Seacoast Grace. And now, I just got his prayer letter just uh, two, three days ago. He's uh, on his way on over into Egypt to preach the gospel and to train pastors. And so uh, I, I got this, and, and I couldn't believe I still saved those notes. These notes were from like 20 years ago. But it, it impacted me, and it, just, it was the visual that helped me to see things. So um, uh, I just slightly tweaked it. But w when we look at this, uh, here's the four things that Paul writes right within here. Oh, man, my slide messed up. I, I messed that up. Sorry. As you can tell, that received should have been on over there. So uh, I couldn't do a whole circle thing, so I just kind of almost did like a baseball diamond. And, of course, it's Dodger blue. So anyway, um, uh, you know, he, he starts on, and these are Paul's words. When he says in, in verse 9, whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice it. Live it out. I didn't model for you something so you can just have all this, uh, all this uh, knowledge. So you can say, oh, yeah, Paul did this. I remember him teaching that. I watched him do that. And it having no impact on, on the people. No, he, he modeled that for them, and he kept saying, imitate me as I follow Christ. Put into practice what I've tried to demonstrate and live out amongst you. And so uh, I love this because, you know, on, that, on the very first thing, uh, uh, I put in uh, some verses and I'm going to have some questions. So the, the first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, and it says this, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Again, he's writing to a different church. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Again, don't imitate me just because of me. Imitate me because I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to show you how we can do that. And yes, we will fail because Jesus was the only perfect human. But that shouldn't stop us from trying. That's just an excuse. He says, but remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So the question is, who am I listening to? Who are we listening to? Paul's teaching. Who are you listening to? Next, about received. Uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians, a different church. Chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, when you received it, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So now I'm going to come back, and here, here's the question, is what am I accepting? What are you accepting of? There's all kinds of opinions out there. There's all kinds of experts out there. I mean, I can't believe how many people are making so much money on, if you do these five things, you too can fill in the blank. It's, it's like, okay, what am I accepting? We have to watch out the books we read. There's been... Uh, People who've, who've said, I'm a Christian counselor, and I've checked into them. I was like, there's no way I could possibly send uh, a Christian to go and see them. What are we accepting? Paul said that they received and accepted the word of God. Are we practicing that? Next, about heard, Proverbs 19, verse 20, says, just check here, says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. With that, the question is, who, who has my ear? It's different from who am I listening to. Just a, a slight difference here. Who am I listening to? But wait, who has my ear? Who do I keep coming back to? Who do I keep using as like the expert? Where does God fit in on that? In his word. Are we, are we accessing everything that we can? Or are we trying to look in other places? And then... 
finally uh, seen, uh, I chose Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Again, a different church. But Paul writes so similar. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So it's, who am I watching? Who am I watching? There's a quote um, from a, a, a man, he's passed away just about four or five years ago. His name was Max Dupree. Wrote some incredible books on leadership. Was a godly man. Served on the board uh, of a seminary. Though some might think, oh, that's a little too, you know, different. But that's okay. And he was putting, how do we put our Christian life into the business world? He was a successful business owner for over 25 years making custom furniture. The company was huge back in the 70s up until the mid-80s. And I just had to do this quote. He says, we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. We cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. So brothers and sisters, you know what? You, you get to have a choice. You can either remain stuck if you're stuck, if you're wrestling with things, if, if you just you feel trapped. Or we can use the resources that, that Paul gives us. You want to experience peace? You, you, you want to help your internal conflict? There's things that we can think about and dwell on. But you know what? It doesn't do any good if we don't try putting it into practice. Otherwise, we cannot become what we need to be by just remaining what we are. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for just the truths that are found there that aren't hidden, that you provide for us so that we can grow deeper in our knowledge and in our practice, so that we can grow deeper in our relationship with you and allow that to just become the overflow into everything else in our lives. And so, Lord, as I know we all deal with conflicts on a regular basis, I pray that we just take advantage of what you had Paul share with the believers in Philippi, but also for us today. And we praise you and thank you for giving us these. In Jesus' name, amen.